0: Looking at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, verses 19 and on. I'd like to read that for us. We'll put it on the screen, verses 19 through 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We've been doing some serious theological thinking over the past weeks, but with the end of verse 18 our author concludes the central theological portion of his letter. He argued, I think shockingly to his first readers and successfully, that the old covenant under which God's people had lived for more than a millennium was no longer in effect. Its sacrifices were neither necessary nor efficacious. The rituals it prescribed were obsolete. Even the priesthood it governed had been superseded. It was not that the old covenant with its laws and its rituals was flawed, but that it was temporary. It was a stage, it was a stepping stone to the new and better covenant. It was not that the ancient priesthood had failed, but that it had been swallowed up in the larger priesthood of all believers. The readers of this letter were living through a time of sweeping change. Christ's coming had marked the end of an age, and his death had inaugurated a new age. In the light of these changing realities, our author has warned his readers again and again that it is impossible to go back to the way things were. They needed to move forward now. The heart of this letter is deeply theological. Our authors argued that Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God who is superior to angels in his nature, superior to Moses in his role, superior to Aaron in his priesthood. His one sacrifice is superior to all the sacrifices offered by all the high priests throughout all generations. We've delved deeply into that theology, but in the back of your mind, you may have been asking, okay, So why? In today's text, we get the answer to that question. Our author tells us how to live out the truth that we've been taking in. We may think that theology is just academic verbiage about issues that have no relation to daily life. But our author knew better. He knew that every one of us is a theologian. You are a theologian. Some of us are good theologians some of us are bad theologians some of us may even be heretical theologians good theology leads to good living bad theology leads to bad living theology matters And so, like the Apostle Paul, our author rounds off this very theological section of the letter with application. Here's what it means. Here's what you do about it. This is what the theology is. This is what it means for your life. If theology doesn't make its way into life, no matter how orthodox or erudite it is, it's always bad theology. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... Now, let's stop for just a moment. The therefore refers back to that extended theological argument of the preceding pages. Because the old covenant has been abrogated. Because the new covenant is in effect. Because the final offering for sin has been made. Because Jesus Christ is our high priest. Therefore... Now, notice the two since we have phrases in verses 19 and 21. They form the twofold basis for our author's threefold appeal, each of which begins with the words, let us. Now, if you see four let us verses in this passage, if you're using a new international version, you will see that. We'll talk about that next week. But this really is a threefold appeal. If we were to do a bare bones diagram of this passage, it would look like this. Since we have confidence, one, since we have confidence, and two, since we have a, a great priest, let us A, draw near to God in faith, B, hold unswervingly to hope, and C, consider one another unto love. Now we'll spend a little time examining the basis for that appeal, the two since wes and then we'll look at the appeal itself and how we can act on it in 21st century lives. Our author first bases his appeal on the confidence we have to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The word confidence could be translated as boldness, some of you may have that in your translations, or even as right. It was used in secular Greek of the right to free speech. We ordinary people have the confidence, the right even, to enter the most holy place. That is to come into the presence of God. You have the right to come into the presence of God. When the priests Nadab and Abihu offered sacrifice in the Old Testament without regard to the law of the covenant, they died for their presumption. When the high priest himself entered the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement, he always did so with fear and trembling. According to the rabbis, it became the custom of the high priest to get in and out of the most holy place with dispatch so that Israel would not be terrified. An encounter with God was a frightening experience, and yet our author says that we can have confidence to enter his presence Because God has called us there. We can be sure that he'll accept us, not because we've done nothing wrong, or because we're doing everything right, but because Jesus died so that we could come to God. The risen Savior stands at the entryway to God's presence. And he invites us in. It's not presumption for us to enter the way he opened, or better, the way he inaugurated, this is verse 20, is a new way. The word new in this verse is one of those 150 words that only appear in the book of Hebrews. It has the idea of fresh. Actually, you would use it of a piece of meat at the butcher shop or in the grocery store. The word is derived from a prefix meaning recently and a root meaning slain, recently slain. By New Testament times, people gave no more thought to the derivation of the word than we give to the derivation of the word goodbye when we're parting from friends. But like goodbye, it has spiritual overtones. The way into God's presence is new because it's based on the ever-fresh and effective sacrifice of Jesus. It's also a living way. The Greek can mean life-giving. Come to God in this way, and you'll receive a new life. An eternal, world-changing, death-defying kind of life. The new way into God's presence was inaugurated, says our author, through the curtain of Christ's body. Now that requires some explanation. In the tabernacle, okay. think in terms of the huge tent that Israel put up and was divided into parts with a holy place where sacrifices took place and the most holy place that the high priest entered once a year on the Day of Atonement. Think of the tabernacle. Later, the temple, the holy place was divided from the most holy place by a heavy purple curtain One curtain, two sides. One side of that curtain faced out towards people, the other faced in toward God. The Synoptic Gospels report that on the day Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, opening the way into God's presence. I've wondered what the priests thought when that happened. I'm sure they panicked and they scrambled to put up a screen between the most holy place and their holy place where they served, between them and God, until the curtain could be mended. And pondering that event, our author came to conclude that Jesus himself, fully God, fully man, was the curtain. It took his death, the tearing of the curtain that was his body, to open the way into God's presence for us. Since that way has been opened, and we have both right and invitation to enter. And since, this is verse 21, we have a great priest, that's a common Hebrew way of saying the high priest, a great priest over the house of God. Now, pause for a moment to consider what our great high priest does for us. He presents the sin offering that makes us right with God, he prays for us as our intercessor. He dispenses mercy when we fall and grace so that we can stand. All things have been placed under his authority and are at his disposal for the benefit of his church. So since we have the right to enter God's presence and since our high priest who knows and cares for us awaits us there, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the first of the so what conclusions. Since these things are true, that we have free access into God's presence and that our high priest awaits us there, let's draw near to God. I am convinced that many people... Maybe most people do not want to draw near to God. They prefer to have God shut up behind the curtain, sealed up within religious rituals. And if the curtain comes down, they quickly put up a screen because he seems safer that way. We have a feeling that anything might happen if he gets out and we get too close. Being close to him changes people. If we're close to him, he might call us to serve. Our failures and doubts might show up. If we get close to him, he may call us to sacrifice our bodies to his service, our time to ministry, our money to his kingdom. Most people want enough of God to make them happy, but not enough to make them his. To change their destiny, but not their daily life. But if that's all they want, frankly, God is not interested. Our author knows that if we're not drawing near to God, we're drifting away from him. If you're not drawing near to God, you're drifting from him. He understands that we've been given this life in this place at this time so that we can draw near to God. Drawing near to God is what life is all about. Christ died to bring us to God. It's only in God's presence that we have the chance to become ourselves. You can never be yourself until you're his. Now how are we supposed to obey this command? How do we draw near to God? In many ways, it's like drawing near to any other person, to a spouse or to a friend. To draw near to someone is to share your life with that person, to share your thoughts with that person, your time and joys and fears. It also means that you actively receive from that person his life and thoughts and feelings as he shares them with you. But God, we know, is not just any other person. He's holy, he's glorious, he's God. So we can't draw near to him without forsaking our sins. When James calls, in his letter, calls people to draw near to God, he tells them to wash their hands, that is, repent of their immoral actions, and purify their hearts, repent of their selfish, sinful attitudes, (coughs) When the sin in our life finally breaks our hearts, we won't have to draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. So the psalmist says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. You want to draw near to God? First thing, let's be practical, confess your sins when God issued a call through the prophet Malachi for people to come near to him. Draw near to me, he says. They asked this very same question. How? How are we supposed to draw near to God? Malachi's answer was this. Give God his due. Let me illustrate. If I borrowed a book from you and didn't want to give it back, I would keep my distance from you. If I knew you were going to be out here, I'd be over there. I'd be somewhere where you weren't. But if I changed my mind, if I said, this is ridiculous, and wanted to get close to you, I'd better take your book with me. So with us, we will not draw near to God if we have promised him something and not fulfilled that promise. I feel like this is for somebody here. You want to draw near to God? Fulfill your promises to him. We draw near to God by praying. Okay, let's be really practical about this. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. We draw near to God in worship, like this morning. By the way, most people go to church every week and they never worship. You can go to church, you can sing the songs, and not worship. We draw near to him when we worship. The very words draw near are almost a technical term in the prophet Ezekiel for worshiping God. We draw near to God, and this is the prophet Zephaniah, when we accept his correction. Whether it comes through someone else or from the scriptures, when we accept his correction, we draw near to him. You want to draw near to God? Pray, worship, and obey. Notice the emphasis on verse on on faith in this verse. We draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We trust God to receive us through the work and the presence and the love of his son. The promise of scripture repeated over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament alike, summarized by St. James is this, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's the first so what. Draw near to God, since these things are true. The second so what is found in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Here the emphasis is not on faith, but on hope. Don't give up. Don't waver. Hope in God. We hope that God will fulfill his promise. That's an emphasis in the book of Hebrews. We hope he'll fulfill his promise. We cling to the hope that he will right wrongs and save his people. Our hope is best described, I think, by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Sometime this afternoon or this evening, take your Bible and read Romans chapter 8, verses 19 or verse 18 through verse 39, and feed your hope. There, Paul says that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Pain will be forgotten, shame lost in glory, sorrows washed away by joy. Our present sufferings, broken relationships, lost loves, personal disappointments, painful rejections, crippling depression, physical injuries are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed, not just to us, but in us. Paul tells us in that Romans passage that all creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. He writes that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. No more fading or sorrow or death a liberated creation. It's too much for us to even imagine. And that's just the half of it. Paul writes, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And it's in this hope that we're saved. Our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor human mind conceived. But God has implanted that hope in our hearts by his spirit. St. John speaks of it. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Right now we're all little Pinocchios, both object and person, half wooden half human. You've never yet seen a true human. There's only been one so far in the history of the world. But we have a longing to be real and we shall be. Hope will not disappoint us. We shall be like him. In chapter 6, of Hebrews our author told us that hope is the soul's anchor. It's hope that keeps us from drifting when the rapids of life threaten to carry us away into the cascades of sin and sorrow. There's so much more that could be said about hope that we don't have time to look at now. So I encourage you read that Romans 8 passage beginning with verse 18 through the end and read 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 through chapter 3 verse 2. Meditate on these passages and shore up your hope. Now, verse 24. Verse 24 has the last of those so what conclusions. So what if we can freely enter into God's presence? So what if our priest and master waits us there? The first so what was, so draw near to God. That's what life is about. The second so what was, so hold on to your hope and do not waver. The third so what, verse 24, so... Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let me offer you a looper translation. Let us look thoughtfully at one another. This is the same word that's translated fix your eyes on Jesus elsewhere, beginning of chapter 12. Fix your eyes on one another. Look thoughtfully at one another. And by the way, that is the only time the word one another The Greek word for one another is used in the whole letter to the Hebrews. That is so odd and unusual. It marks this verse out as important. So let's look thoughtfully at one another with a view to firing up love and good deeds. Did you notice the emphasis on love? And did you see the trinity of virtues in this passage? We have faith in verse 22... Hope in verse 23, love in verse 24. Faith, hope, and love. They're everywhere in the Bible. And they are the so what conclusions to the great theology of this letter. They describe the man or woman, teen or child, who is living the life God desires. So, let me ask how well do they describe you? Do you have faith in God, real, vibrant, Draw near to him faith? Do you have hope for the future in spite of the obstacles of the present? Do you have love for your fellow Christ followers that expresses itself in this thoughtful consideration? We're going to see much more on that great subject next week. But as I conclude, let me suggest one way of acting on the truth of this text. Choose to draw near to God right now, today. Intentionally draw near to Him. Pray to Him. Share your real life with Him in prayer. Your fears, joys, and ambitions, your discouragements, your complaints, share them with Him. Let Him share His real life with you through his word, his joys, his holy ambitions, his complaints and plans. Set aside time for it or it will not happen. Almost every day for decades, I've set apart about an hour in the morning to do this. I'm not encouraging you to set aside an hour but set aside 10 minutes. If you don't know how to do this, call me, and we'll set up a time and talk it through. This is a fundamental practice of a healthy spiritual life. You need this. If something is holding you back from getting close to God, figure out what it is. Is some behavior or attitude holding you back? Are you afraid God will tell you things you don't want to hear? Are you afraid of changes that will come into your life for which you're not prepared? As you get close to God, those sins and fears will blow away like dust in the wind. When you are far from God, it is easy to think I'm just not that kind of person. The spiritual kind, the kind is all into God. That's just not me. But you only feel that way because you are far from God. As you get close to him, that will change. You will change, and what's more, you will want to change. We are never ourselves when we are far from God. That's why the one who knows all things and all people will nevertheless say to some, I never knew you. Because they were not real. They were not who they were made to be. They're not themselves. And they're not themselves because they're far from God. Draw near to God. Be who you were meant to be. Who you long to be. Who he longs for you to be. Draw near through the only way that's open to us. Through faith in his son, our great high priest. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, draw us. You're always drawing us. And so much of the time we're digging in our heels and wanting to live our own lives. Not even realizing they're not our own. And that we're not ourselves. Overcome us. Conquer us. Vanquish us. Make us yours. So that we can be ours in truth. For the sake of Jesus. Amen.